spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs. Happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yanji Denise. My partner, Ryan Kalei Suji, is off this morning, but the show must go on, and we have a great guest for you and a lot to talk about. We're joined live this morning by HTA President and CEO, John DeFries, who is going to be telling us about so many things. John, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a while. It has been. It's always good to see you. Uh, I want to start this morning with the article that Allison Schaefer from the paper put in uh, earlier this week, which is a great piece on this geolocation data that you guys are collecting and what it's showing. Tell us a little bit about when this started and what exactly what exactly you are capturing in the moment. You know, it's relatively new and we're capturing data each month. And I'm grateful to Allison for having highlighted this. And uh, my understanding is uh, when our board meeting adjourned, uh, she was able to meet with uh, DBED research director, uh, tourism research director, Jen Chun, and Jennifer was able to run her through it. Essentially, uh, if you go to our website, the ACTA website under research on the menu, the first thing that's going to pop up is called the Symphony Dashboards. And you're going to be able to access this information. Currently, it has the top 30 points of interest in terms of visitation. And what it's looking at is the percentage of visitors that are actually um, visiting as tourists or visiting that area as a local resident. And I think, People will be astounded at the amount of local use that is uh, is being measured at this time. Now, I want to emphasize one thing. This is not Big Brother getting into all your information and all your data. It's a passive survey that is basically picking up the area codes on your cell phone and measuring it in that way. And there are algorithms that uh, allow some level of sorting, for instance, Let's take Kalakaua Avenue, for instance, as a point of interest that is being uh, measured. If if your cell phone is staying in a relatively same location for five hours, eight hours, then the algorithm will not factor you in because it would determine that you're employed there. Now, if, if I'm an employee and not being measured, the minute I walk across the street, uh, to a restaurant or to a fast food um, outlet, um, I will get picked up that way. And my understanding is that if you're within 25 to 30 feet of the the actual geofence that has been set up, it'll pick up your, um, uh, your cell phone. But I want to emphasize the privacy issue because I know that can be troublesome as well. Well, I'm interested because when she looked at the top destinations, places like Kailua Town and even Waikiki, 
the majority of area codes that were picked up are not from outside of the state. You know, we hear so much about the impact of the visitor, but it sounds like Kama'aina are also visiting some of the most popular spots. So, you know, when you see that, tell us your reaction to that finding. You know, um, I, when I first started looking at this and became aware of it, I too was surprised at that number. And so you've got inner island Kama'aina travelers that if we remain in Waikiki for a moment, that are in there. I will also tell you that we need to account for the fact that certain months you may have one or two parades, right? Aloha week, or you might have, um, the, we just had the pride uh, parade and the little league parade, right? And so when you get that, and that's going to obviously bring a higher concentration of local people inside the space that is being measured. So uh, each month we need to be able to factor that in. I will tell you that as a technological tool, it will help state and county uh, park managers understand usage patterns, understand seasonal patterns and demographics. Um, so we see this becoming a, a greater use as a resource as we move forward. So again, I'm glad that it was highlighted in the article. Do you think that having this information and knowing that you know the majority of people who are utilizing these spaces are local folks um, can change how we manage them and maybe change some of the perceptions of, of who's actually using these spaces? You know, it is because the, the whole idea of um, what we refer to as malamaku home or caring for our island home Right, that is a Kama'aina way of life. That is a call to action. And for the most part, Kama'aina can actually establish the model of behavior that we want visitors to, to align themselves with, which is why you see a lot of pre-arrival messaging that is taking place. I'm sure that our viewers sense that they're receiving um, more messaging locally what we, what we discovered was that a number of local people, the majority of local people, had no idea what messages were being sent abroad. And, uh, and that's our fault for not getting to that point, that awareness earlier. But that's one of the reasons why you see this uh, emphasis on Malama Hawaii, caring for our natural resources, caring for Hawaiian culture and the community and its multi-ethnic makeup. So we'll continue to do that and, um, and make sure that our residents are uh, part of that whole messaging and, um, and, and frankly will be critical to our effectiveness in managing destinations. Well, and on the messaging uh, you know, topic, you kind of lead right into my next question, which is the disagreement that's currently underway between C CNHA and HCVB. Can you tell us a little bit about how that is being resolved at the moment and, and where all of that stands, knowing that you have to be sensitive that this is still sort of in negotiation. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm limited at the moment only because we're bound by certain procurement um, policies and codes. Um, and and it, I wanna put this in context, okay? Back in January of 2020, the HTA board adopted a five-year strategic plan of which we're just over halfway through. And in that plan, there are four pillars, natural resources, Hawaiian culture, community, and global branding, okay? 
when they adopted that plan, what they did was they altered the field of competition, which historically was dominated almost solely by the Hawaii Visitors and Conventions Bureau. And so this time around, when the RFP came out, that emphasized not only marketing priorities and a marketing scope of work, but the requirement to also manage destinations, it within that uh, construct of the strategic plan, uh, CNHA became a serious competitor. And, um, and so that resulted in a recommendation that CNHA be awarded the contract within the procurement. HPCB conducted itself uh, accordingly by filing a protest. Um, and, and we've been in that protest mode since like mid-June, late June. Okay. At the moment, the sole arbiter in the process is the director of DBED, Mike McCartney, that official role is called HOPA, Head of Purchasing Agency, okay? And so let me just say this, that the two parties have learned a lot about each other and an increased appreciation for what they each bring to the challenges that lay ahead, both in marketing and managing Hawaii as a visitor destination. As a result, they have come up with a conceptual uh, agreement okay, as to how they could coexist in a way that we at HTA uh, think is in the best interest of Hawaii. Okay, so that's where the parties are at. The HOPA, or the director of DBED, now needs to take this to the state procurement officer to see that it is in compliance with the existing RFP. And I'm also been informed that he is taking it to the attorney general to make sure that Whatever steps we take going forward as a collaborative uh, does, in fact, comply in full with uh, the state procurement. And so I'm, we're awaiting final word on that. In the meantime, we were able, collectively, all three parties, CNHA, HVCB, and HTA, we came to an agreement that it was in the best interest of Hawaii to extend the HVCB's current contract by six months through March 31 and give us the time to be able to pull together this larger agreement that I'm referring to. Well, it's interesting. Are you essentially talking about a job share between these two organizations to split the duties of this? Or how would those, that coexistence that you're talking about, how does yeah. that actually work? Because they started out in conflict. They started out in, in uh, as competitors and, and there is a recognition, I'll leave it at this, there is a recognition that the skill sets and capacity at both organizations can actually leverage this beyond the initial expectations that were placed on either one of them as a soul. So I'll leave it at that because um, I'm not able to discuss what that agreement uh, is made of, but I'm encouraged by eight, A, the leadership being exhibited by the presidents of both, CNHA Kuhio Lewis, HBCB, John Monahan, who I've known for a long time. And both of them have, frankly, put the interest of Hawaii ahead of whatever competition we were engaged in in the months of April and May. 
Well, on the subject of leadership, there's a political reality that you're butting up against, which is that Mike McCartney, of course, is the head of DBED, but he's the head of DBED under the current governor. Uh, Tuesday, the state will choose a new governor. Governor Ige, of course, termed out. Uh, the next incoming governor, where the, whether that is uh, Josh Green or Duke Iona, uh, will choose their own head of DBED, who may or may not be Mike McCartney. So given that you've extended this runway essentially to March, are you concerned that if you have a new head of DBED, that could disrupt this process, which I would imagine is pretty time sensitive? You know, it is time sensitive. Um, there is the all efforts are going to, to because of the institutional knowledge at DBED and the historical uh, background that, that Mike brings to this. Um, we are focused on bringing this to resolution in some form. Whatever form the state procurement officer and the AG determined to be the course we must take, um, we I, I believe as I'm sitting here today that we'll be able to get this an answer to this before uh, Director McCartney has to depart office. And if for some reason he doesn't, uh, and we're having to to move this forward under a new director. Uh, we will adjust accordingly and, and work diligently to getting to a resolution. It's very interesting that this has gone the way it has. Uh, it sounds like this could be the possible best outcome and, and one that's pretty unexpected. You know, the, 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 the future of Hawaii has no shortage of conflicts and, and issues that have to be resolved. And what this process is demonstrating is the power of collaboration is when people come together as competitors and realize, and, and believe me, both of them within the procurement have the opportunity to protest, 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 and take this in into the future in ways that could be uh, could injure the industry. And uh, they've been able to see the bigger picture. And, uh, and frankly, I'm hoping this will serve as an example of the way challenges and problems get resolved in Hawaii going forward. Well, there's another uh, potential challenge or uh, discussion that is to be had with an incoming governor. There's been a lot of talk uh, on the campaign trail about the possibility of adding a user fee. Uh, it's something that, uh, you know, the current lieutenant governor and his campaigning has suggested a, a green fee or an impact fee be collected at the airport, 50 to $100, somewhere in that range. Uh, we've asked Governor Ige on this program about the possibility of that. He seems to think that it would be difficult to do at the airport because of federal regulations and the requirement that uh, monies collected in that space be devoted to, you know, airport priorities. So that, you know, he basically laid out that there was a difficulty of where you would actually collect such a fee and how you would go about doing that. But beyond the logistics of such a proposal, what is your organization's stance on whether or not something like this should be uh, should be levied on Taurus? You know, the, the impact fee is well intended because it can, in fact, subsidize and fund uh, the kinds of uh, initiatives and programs and conservation efforts that our natural environment in particular um, needs to have supported. Uh, that could be achieved by dedicating a percentage of the transient accommodation tax, as opposed to imposing another impact fee. And I would encourage us to look at that. My understanding is going into the legislative session, we're going to see a bill coming out of the House and supported by the Senate the, to look at that. 
I want everyone to be sensitive to the fact that right now, the visitor has got a 10.25% state TAT, a 3% county TAT, a 4 plus percent in GET, okay? So just under 18% before we go anywhere, right? And then you've got fuel surcharges, you've got a so we've got to be very careful. There is a price sensitivity uh, in every industry, in every sector of our economy. I would just caution us about doing this. I would also say this. If I'm a businessman coming here for a four-day convention with no intention of visiting one of our your parks or attractions because I'm here dedicated to the convention, um, it's going to hurt for me to have to pay an impact fee on areas I will not impact. And I think, you know, the governor and I have had this conversation before and, and people often point to Palau as an independent nation, as an example. I think Palau is an incredible example, but there's a difference between your, your abilities as a nation versus your ability as a state. And I think that's what you're hearing from Governor Ige. Yeah, interesting there. Uh, I'm interested also, you know, we're heading into the holiday season. Uh, what are your thoughts about what we're expecting to see? We saw, of course, last summer visitors roaring back. This summer we had a pretty good count, it seems, and, and good spend as well. But other destinations are starting to open up and we're seeing more competitiveness on the global market. So what's your expectations for the holiday travel for us here in Hawaii? Sure. I think, let, let me say this. Over the last four months, there's been a reduction in visitor arrivals when compared to 2019. In June, that was uh, an 11% reduction. July was 7.6%. And then I think the September numbers are roughly 4% less than 2019. Now in that same time, visitor uh, expenditures went up. In June, it increased by 12%, 14% in July. And in September, 18% um, more gross spending by visitors than in 2019. Keep in mind, Japan and the international markets are not fully recovered. The pent-up demand that we're seeing from the West Coast of the United States and the East Coast is filling that. Um, I think the holidays are going to be um, uh, back to roughly where we were in 2019, uh, but we're hoping because the forecasters are now looking at the United States going into a recession, which we will have an effect on future bookings. And we're hoping by that time that um, uh, Japan in particular comes back um, uh, stronger than it is currently. Well, and if you're looking at raw numbers, I mean, the, the data that you're presenting, isn't that sort of what folks outline that they want, right? Fewer people, but more spend. Um, how are we achieving that? Is that um, just because of inflation, that costs have gone up, so they're spending more money just as a result of prices being higher? Or what? What do you you know? What do you attribute that eighteen percent? I mean, that's quite a gain that's uh, a, in that, that's in that a, time. Oh, that's a huge gain, and and I think that it's the people still see the value in Hawaii, especially the the, the U.S. market, and uh, and frankly, things. You know, if, if you take a look at the average daily rates on every island, and I'm, I'm focused on hotels for a moment, uh, there's been an increase there. 
I think the, um, uh, the, the fact that people have this pent-up demand have, have maybe over the last two and a half years saved enough uh, financially to, to make this a, a dream trip for themselves. I think there are a lot of factors going into it. Having said that, though, you know, our retail sector hasn't fully recovered. Our restaurant sector hasn't fully recovered. And so I'm just hoping that, keep in mind, in, in four months, July, uh, June through September, just under $7 billion in visitor expenditures is the kind of fuel we need to get the retail restaurants and attractions and the hotels, you know, back with their equilibrium restored and operational flow uh, back to where it used to be. And, and frankly, we're moving in the right direction, but we still got a ways to go. Yeah, and, and you referenced Japan briefly. I want to ask you a little bit more detailed on projections in that regard. Uh, as you noted, prices are up, so the visitor spend is up, but the you know the yen against the dollar is uh, not in their favor at the moment, and that makes you know higher prices even less tolerable for the visitor. Japan's gotten rid of a lot of the regulations. We know October 11th is a big day in that regard for folks from Japan being able to come and go freely. But, uh, you know, Hawaiian Airlines and other airlines say, have said that their planes are not jam-packed with tourists, even though I'm sure a lot of Japanese visitors would like to come here. They just might not be able to afford it. So how is that affecting your projections uh, well, for the Japanese market? You know, you spoke to the heart of it, right? It The, the yen to dollar uh, ratio is skewed. I think it's like 145 against a, a dollar, right? I was in Tokyo a month ago to attend uh, their annual uh, tourism expo. And it's the first live trade show I've been to since being at HTA for the last 26 months. It was a big wake-up call for me, walking into the International Pavilion and looking at the, the, the intensity and the fervor with which the other destinations in the world, whether it be Europe, the Mediterranean, Africa, and across the United States uh, and Asia that are competing for the Japan traveler, right? But to your point that the yen ratio has to uh, stabilize itself. The other thing that's happening in the Japan government as part of that stabilization is, and in response to that uh, yen issue, is actually incentivizing visitors to visit in-country destinations. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe that the program is still ongoing where the traveler receives a $75 credit to be applied to food and beverage or retail purchases uh, per day, right? And so Japan is trying to basically heal itself as, as a means of restoring kind of its economic vitality uh, but but clearly, you've got um, people that are very eager to come back. So having said all of that, um, I think it's the late first quarter, second quarter that we're going to see some meaningful um, uptick of visitors from Japan. In the meantime, I'm just really appreciative to the air carriers who are making commitments uh, to these routes because to to reopen a route like this and not have a a, a decent capacity or, or um, uh, you know passenger load uh, is a concern, and uh, they can only hold that position so long. So, our gratitude to those carriers that are making that happen. You know, I'm interested. You mentioned this trade show. 
And, uh, you know, as the world markets sort of reemerge and you did reference that we are expecting, you know, economists say it's pretty likely that we'll be entering a recession phase, which will likely soften our, you know, con continental U.S. market and perhaps other other places as well. Who do you see as our biggest competitor on the world stage when it comes to attracting visitors? Who are we in contentious, contention with the most and how do we distinguish ourselves, not necessarily for the volume of traffic, but for that high dollar spend? You know, um, domestically, you'll, you'll always find places like Florida, New York, uh, parts of California, Las Vegas um, uh, tend to to prevail and, and compete really well against Hawaii. Uh, within Asia, oddly enough, um, you have places like Vietnam that have emerged with higher end uh, opportunities. Bali has always been an important destination. New Zealand and Australia uh, compete very well for the, the Japan traveler and for the US domestic traveler. So those are um, extremely competitive and and you're finding a segment of the market that is interested in more adventure. And, and so I expect them to be, you know, moving out into, into places that heretofore um, were, were not a concern. They're not major markets necessarily, but they're going to take a portion of that, whether it be Africa or parts of South America. And, and so Hawaii just needs to, the wake up call for me was how fragile this industry is post pandemic because um, I think the travelers are going to be much more discriminate in search of more authenticity, more meaning. Hawaii and other visitor destinations will always be a playground, but in addition to that playfulness and recreation and rejuvenation, you're going to find a greater interest in uh, meaningful experiences, authentic experiences, in every case, the only place that can deliver authenticity is really the community, right? Mm -hmm. And and the cultures that have made Hawaii home, beginning with the Hawaiian culture. Right. And that, I mean, you key in really on our intangible and our best asset, of course, which is the Aloha spirit. Um, and we saw a lot of pushback for a time when, when you know, our tourism market reopened. Uh, just this feeling that people Kama'aina weren't necessarily welcoming the tourists with open arms. The Aloha spirit was waning, if you will, in that regard. What have you seen, you know, how has that developed over time? The one thing HTA does really well is track data. So where are you seeing the sort of, you know, Kama'aina feel toward the traveler, has that gotten a little bit better or are we still in the same place? You know, uh, we survey resident sentiments twice a year now. And so, um, you know, when that next survey comes up, it'd be great to come back and join you and Ryan and, and we can comb through that. You know, it's one thing to say uh, re residents um, are pushing back against tourism, but as you drill down, into the actual concern and complaint that individuals have. It'll take you to places like uh, our park is overcrowded, the parking lot is overcrowded, traffic is congestion, uh, overly congested. I was at a legislative hearing where you hero Frank Haas and Paul Brubaker um, were presenting their um, uh, uh, proposal for a, searching for a new governance model um, 
for HTA or for the state of Hawaii, take HTA out of it, right? And and I'm in favor of the governance model and 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 looking for what the best practices may be today, right? And so, but I, I appreciated uh, Brubaker's response when he heard about this and he said, how come every parking problem is a tourism problem and how come every traffic jam is a tourism problem, right? It's something we're going to have to get through together. And I wanna say this one thing, Yunji, is that a synonym to tourist is guest. More specifically, a guest that has been invited, okay? Now, who invited that guest? Well, let's go back. You know, I, I, we can go all the way back to zoning that invited a developer and investor to build an enterprise. Let's call it a hotel. The hotel now has a management company. It extends an invitation to the markets, right? The local airlines, domestic airlines, international airlines, all extending invitations. Hawaii Tourism Authority, Hawaii Visitors and Conventions Bureau, all extending invitations to this, this guest who finally gets here. But the other synonym to tourists is taxpayer. And go back to that just under 18% I talked about on just the, the, the hotel side of things, right? Not the, the, um, the fuel surcharges and all the other things that are there. My point being that that in resolving our destination management challenges, we do need to look at this holistically. I appreciate the local people who are local residents, some of whom I may be related to, who are fighting for their space on beaches, right? But what I wanna urge them to do is don't just fight for it on Sunday, okay? Tourism and our communities are part of a larger system. And what we need is a systemic change. If you feel put out on a beach that is fronting a hotel, there are people on your island, uh, and I'd be happy to help make those connections on Kauai, for instance, because I, I, you know, I had plenty of aloha for that auntie who on Kalapaki Beach was felt the need to get out there and fight for her space. She has a right to fight for that space, but what I'm interested in doing is helping that auntie help us find a way to change the system so that her grandchildren are not fighting for Sundays on the beach. Um, and, and so we're gonna need one another to get through this. And, uh, and frankly, I'm invigorated by the challenge. Well, and I think that, you know, it really goes back to what we started our conversation with it. And that's that, that geo uh, catching data that you are finding or that tracking data that's showing that all of the places that are seeing the highest traffic uh, the majority of folks who are there are not from out of state. And that's a really important wake-up call. And so if we talk about destination management, it's managing all of us, right? The, you know, that school traffic in the morning that I'm sitting in, it's not Jordan's, <laughs> but it's still traffic. It's still humbug, and I don't like it. So how do we fix that? And, and um, guess what? You're going to have a new governor shortly that you're going to be able to take that message to. And he can't wait to hear from you. Believe well, me. <laughs> well, John DeFries, it's always great to talk with you. We are out of time this morning, but thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us. Uh, we hope to have you back again soon. Good to see you, Yonji, and please give my aloha to Ryan. I will. Mahalo for being here. Always great to catch up with John DeFries. If you missed any part of this conversation, of course, you can go back and watch it once we are done with the live stream. 
You can also catch it on Channel 50 as a rebroadcast or listen to it as a podcast later this afternoon, wherever you get your podcast, just search for Spotlight Hawaii. We started our conversation with uh, going into some of the data that they are collecting. Very interesting. They have basically a geofence in certain properties uh, or certain parts of Waikiki and other uh, destinations around the island. Allison Schaefer's wrote a piece about that that was really interesting that shows that in the highest traffic areas, uh, the majority of the cell phone data that they're collecting shows an 808 area code, which would indicate that those are Kama'aina in those spaces. So how do we manage them uh, together to make sure that we're all enjoying them in the right way? He also shared a little bit about the back and forth between CNHA and HCVB. We know that that was a contentious decision uh, contract that is being negotiated about how we market and tell uh, the world about Hawaii uh, and some disagreements over who should have that authority. It sounds like they are finding a a very interesting path forward, uh, perhaps doing it in some kind of a joint effort. He couldn't really get into specifics just yet. They're having uh, Mike McCartney over at DBED take that to the attorney general and other folks uh, in an authority to figure out, uh, you know, legally how they can do that because the RFP, the request for proposal is very specific. And are they meeting that if they make these adjustments? But it does sound like they are coming to some very positive common ground there, which is a great thing, of course, for all of us. He talked about the Japanese visitor uh, and just the impact that uh, the yen to dollar ratio is having on their their ability to come back and really a lot of the airlines sticking their neck out at the moment coming flying back and forth with planes that are not as full as they had hoped um and visitors spend that was very interesting too that the numbers are down in terms of you know core people actually coming here but the spend is up and we have heard consistently from residents and politicians alike that that is something that hawaii wants to see more of so how are we achieving that of course prices have gone up um, so that would indicate that there would be increase in collections, but also, you know, just changing the way our destinations are managed and perhaps charging a little more for the things, uh, for, for being able to come to Hawaii. So anyway, always great to catch up with John DeFries. We will be back here on Monday with Ryan and Senator Brian Schatz will be joining us uh, to talk about the goings on in Washington and also very interested to hear his take on what's happening at Red Hill. Of course, he has been at the forefront of, you know, holding the military accountable for what's happening there. We're very interested to talk to him and we hope that you join us right back here on Monday for another edition of Spotlight Hawaii. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs.